Welcome to Category 5 Technology TV. Very exciting show planned for you tonight. Robert Caps is going to be here from New Data. We've had him on the show before. He is a genius when it comes to all things data security. And tonight, he's going to be talking to us about a recent security breach, but also looking at how things like biometrics and um, analytic data based on our behavior can be used as a form of authentication when we're accessing these kinds of systems. Mm -hmm. Basically, using biometrics and our actual interaction with websites and other systems to protect our data by authenticating as us. So we're going to really simplify it and learn all about it tonight with Robert. I'm really looking forward to that. Also, we've got a Rock 64 here. Pine 64 sent us their brand new board. I can't wait to unbox that for you. Stick around. This is Category 5 Technology TV. Live recordings are trusted only to solid-state drives by Kingston Technology. Revive your computer with improved performance and reliability over traditional hard drives with Kingston SSDs. Category 5 TV streams live with Telestream Wirecast and Nimble Streamer. Tune in every week on Roku, Kodi, Plex, and other HLS video players. For local showtimes, visit Category5.tv. Category5.tv is a member of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. Cat5.tv slash TPN and the International Association of Internet Broadcasters. Cat5.tv slash IAIB. Welcome to the show, Sasha. You realize that uh, when the graphics are up, they don't they don't see us, so he's they're like wondering why this. why are you laughing? And yeah, he's reading. <laughs> I was dabbing. His... Yeah, <laughs> he's just randomly dabbing. Yeah, hey. and I can't do that. I have to look at the paper to read. <laughs> oh yes, 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 yes. Because <laughs> you're new here. That's right. When the teleprompter has my name on it and it glitches, I'm like, She's like I who, am. Who am I? I am. Who oh, am no. I? <laughs> How have you been? Has it been a good week? It's been an awesome week. First yeah. week with my new car. Your new car. Has it been doing well? It's been doing well. The you furthest got... it's ever gone is here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny. So you've really racked up the kilometers on yeah, it. It's up like to like 30? 150 kilometers 150. Now. Wow. Yeah. You've been really motoring around. I've been driving to and from work and I went home on my lunch break one time. Yeah. Cool. And I can it's just nice. do that. Nice having wheels, eh? So good. Yeah. It's nice to appreciate having them because for... For a lot of my uh, life, I had a car, mm -hmm. and then for a little bit of my life, I didn't have a car. Just enough to reset my like gratitude button. Now I'm like super happy. I have a car. <laughs> it's incredible. If I, you don't have one, you should try it. I wish Amazon sold cars. Yeah. Because we are a partner with Amazon, <laughs> and you know the the kickback on that would be pretty all right. That would be not pretty bad all at right. all. We need to partner with some car dealerships or something like that, Sash. That would be great. Too little, too late. Oopsie. Speaking of Amazon, though, and our partner uh, program with them, uh, thank you to everybody who decided to use our partner links at Category5.tv during Prime Day. Yes. Prime Day was a load of fun, wasn't it? Yes. Did you get some deals? No. You didn't? No, I'm being so good. No. I oh, am. <laughs> I bought a car. I know. <laughs> Being being so, so there are so many things I wanted in Prime. Amazon did such a good job of making me want so many things that I had to stop turning off. Like, I turned off the notifications. I'm like, I, I don't oh, wow. want to want this because I do so badly. Um, but I'm leaving for Newfoundland for next week, right? So I can't even order anything because I won't be here to get it. Oh, no. Right? Well, so, it, it arrives by Friday if you ordered on Prime stop. Day. Stop. 
Stop. There's still time, Sasha. There's no. still time. No, there's not. No, there's, there's not. not. Prime Day's over. I, um, yes. I did pick up um, an Elgato Stream Deck oh. for Category 5 TV. Got it for 100 bucks off, folks. Yay! And so I'm pretty excited about that because in here in the studio, like I make shift and, and I do pretty well. We've got our studio broadcast server way across the room so i have to use some method of switching camera shots and things like that so i've got this little guy in my hand here that allows me to do just that it's just a bluetooth keyboard for like 14 bucks and it works but my methodology is like a little note that says okay sasha is s smart very complicated smart. w is the wide shot and and so sometimes i hit the wrong thing yeah. <laughs> and it's not the greatest. So this uh, Stream Deck is, is like, it's built for things like Telestream Wirecast, where you actually see a little clip of the shot, and you can push the button, and it will switch Oh, around. that is awesome. So it's like awesome. a really great extension. So Good. that's really, really cool. So Sweet. that brings me to also thanking our patrons and those who support Category 5 TV. Uh, of course, as people are purchasing things through um, our Amazon links and our eBay links and all the other partners that we, uh, that we are partnered with, uh, a portion of every sale, even though you're going to buy it anyways, you don't pay any more, but a portion of the sale goes to helping Category 5 TV so that we can do things like that, so that we're looking at a failed hard drive right now or possibly a failing motherboard, and oh. that concerns me a lot. Um, and that is something that we're going to have to deal with. So your contributions, you're supporting us in any way possible um, through those links and things like that um, really helps us to be able to deal with things as they come. And then being able to save 100 bucks on something that we really do need here at the studio. Well, the good news is, really, I shop at the... But, Thank you. But I'll be shopping when they're not on sale. <laughs> so yeah, the right. percentage will be higher. Yeah. That's only because I really needed to stay... On budget this Sure. No, month. I understand. I understand. The flight is... It's not yeah. easy to stay on budget during Prime Day. It's horrible. I got a couple of little miscellaneous things, too. Like, USB extension cords were all two bucks off. Yeah. You know, so I got a couple of those because we need them. And, you know, various things that were all just discount. What almost got me, it was mm. in my cart and then I removed it because I realized... Because it's not a sale if you're not going to buy it anyway. You know, the whole adage, right? But I've been talking about wanting to get my DNA tested. And they have that on Amazon? They and do they that have, on Amazon? They have it on Amazon. What? And it ended up in my cart, and I was like, oh, it's, it's like half off. It was like $89 or something. Didn't we talk about how you shouldn't trust Amazon for some things, like fire alarms and carbon monoxide detectors and solar glasses and maybe DNA tests? <laughs> so, so, I really want to get my DNA tested. I once had a dog. I got her DNA tested. That's how bad yeah. I want to get it done. I was like, well, let's see. You go first. I can't imagine how a DIY DNA test would work. I think I'm, you just, I think, spit into a tube for like a day. I just it picture just somebody on the other end fulfilling this order going, <laughs> we checked another one. I think the, well, yeah. The way, like, the way the DNA gets tested, it matches you up with, like, relatives you didn't know you had. Okay. And it can solve murders. Apparently. Yes, it's happened before. Mm -hmm. Where they've been like, oh. This was that the Amazon kit, though? Perhaps really? not. Really? <laughs> well, it was on sale. It almost happened. I didn't do it, though. So the Stream Deck is a real thing. Yeah, that's a smart, <laughs> that's a smart choice. That Good makes job. sense. It just makes sense, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. You want to say it? I want to say it? Or do I want to talk about the contest? That's what I thought you were going to say. I do want to say it. Dead Effect 2 VR. 
we have it for you. Mm. Um, you can win it, and you can play Dead Effect VR with me because I have it, and I want you to be my friend. Um, <laughs> that would be so much fun. Yes. How can they win? They can win by emailing contest at category5.tv and letting us know who you're watching from, how you're watching. Really just tell us a little bit about you. You'll be entered into the draw to win. Bingo, bango. You'll Very get cool. it. Uh, I mentioned Patreon, cat5.tv slash Patreon. Just before we hit a break, we're still working our way up. Thank you to all of our new patrons. Make sure you head on over to our Patreon profile. And if you can just give $1 per month, that's all it takes. And if everybody were to do that, or if a large portion, if you were just to say $1 a month for Category 5 TV and everything that they do, and everything that they do for free, then please, would you consider doing that? And let's see if we can really have a rockin' month uh, as we close out July and, and August is going to be a strange month for us because we've got a lot of vacation time. You're away next week. I'm away next week. I'm going to be away sometimes, but you know me, I'll be here anyways. Somehow I'll find a way. We'll pre-record or whatever it takes. Exactly. I'll be here. I, however, will not. We do have to take a really quick break. When we come back, uh, we're going to be joined by Robert Caps, And this is an interview that we've been wanting to share with you. Very excited about this. As we learn about how biometrics and behavioral analytics and these kinds of technologies can be used to help secure our data. Don't go anywhere. For a limited time, get your hands on limited edition shirts from the Category 5 TV network. These high-quality shirts are manufactured by Teespring, a fundraising website, and your purchase will help support the shows we produce. Get yours today and send us your pictures to be featured on the corresponding show. Visit cat5.tv shirts to support us and get your official network shirt today. cat5.tv shirts. Welcome back. This is Category 5 Technology TV. Once again, tonight I'm joined by Robert Capps. You remember him from previous shows. He is a world-famous expert on data privacy. He is the VP and authentication strategist for New Data Security. Robert, it is so nice to see you again. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for the intro. Yeah. <laughs> that was fantastic. <laughs> um, now, you were here. Uh, now, it's hard to believe. I mean, time flies. It's been uh, a year ago in February. You were here on episode 492, and we talked about something called two-factor authentication. And we realized right. through the course of that discussion, Robert, that two-factor authentication, while possibly a good strategy to data privacy, is not enough when it comes to protecting our data. Uh, yeah. Before that, we also had you on. We talked about a, a hack that occurred at a casino here in Ontario, Canada, and uh, that was back on episode number 479 if you want to go back. But tonight, boy, oh boy, this one's, uh, this one's big. I, I think I should just kind of let you talk a little bit about, uh, about TimeHop and what has happened uh, yeah. at TimeHop just as of... Yeah, so 
Sure, yeah. So, so what happened at Timehop is uh, they've had a data breach. Um, we've heard data breaches constantly mm-hmm. <laughs> in the news these days. Uh, it's every day you open the paper, or yeah, I guess those that get papers, uh, you open your web browser and you see a lot of uh, information about this company was breached, this company was breached, this company was breached. Um, it's a daily occurrence. And at this point, there's more data out there on Internet users than there are humans on the on the internet or even on the planet, right? More, there are more records that have been released in data breaches than there are humans here on Earth. And so, um, with that sort of numbers in, in mind, looking at what happened with TimeHop is actually not quite as big as some of the others. Uh, they lost 21 million consumer records. Um, that's a drop in the bucket compared to some of the other organizations. But what was really um, impactful here is it wasn't just a name and an email address and maybe a password. It was a phone number. It was a date of oh. birth. It might have been their gender, um, their nationality, and those sort of data points. And um, that's a little more impactful when you think about how this data is used once it's stolen. Uh, stolen data is often used for um, d- uh, account takeovers. You know, If they get a username right. and a password, they go out and they, they try to log into a bunch of different websites across the internet and see where they work. That shouldn't work, except the consumers aren't real good about keeping um, unique usernames and passwords for each one of the sites they access. Now, Robert, you you mentioned uh, something that you hit on here is that we're seeing this happen over and over and over again. It seems a theme here at Category 5 Technology TV that we're constantly reporting on this site has been hacked, this user database has been compromised. Why is it that all of a sudden this is happening? Uh, Well, it's been happening for a long time. Um, What we've seen is that the regulations being put out by different nationalities or different organizations um, are forcing the disclosure of data breaches in a much more profound way. Um, and, and so where once these things got swept under the rug, uh, we now have data breach uh, discovery and um, um, disclosure laws on the books here in the U.S. Uh, there's a number of laws at the state level and federal level. Um, recently in Europe, we have GDPR, uh, which really mandates that if there's any exposure to consumers' information, it has to be disclosed in a very timely manner. And, and um, this is actually one of the first breaches that's occurred publicly um, where GDPR played a central role in the timing of mm. that um, that breach's disclosure. And, and actually, interestingly enough, uh, if you read the, 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 the blog post TimeHop uh, Time uh, put out there, and let me say, they did a fantastic job catching the issue and resolving quickly and getting the information out to their consumers. But what we did see is that there was a lot of confusion, and they, they talked about it in their blog posts, um, about what do we need to do? How do we need to do this? There were lawyers involved over the weekend. Of, you know, it, it was the 4th of July week, and um, oh, it was not always the way. It's always during a holiday. <laughs> the staff yeah. has got the long weekend off, and guess what? Yeah, yeah. And the smaller boy, boy. and smaller organizations tend to have fewer security staff, and if one of them is right. out on vacation, and it sounds like that happened on this situation as well, um, that can delay understanding the full scope of the issue, and, and that is what happened. Um, they had to come out with a subsequent release saying that there were data birth and other data points that were in the data breach that they found out after they started going and doing all of the uh, forensics on the on the attack. Mm-hmm. Um, those situations, I mean, that happens. I, I've been behind the scenes during data breach uh, recoveries, and you know, you get in there and you go, okay, well, we think the problem's here. 
And then you start looking and it's over here too, and it's over here too, and you start you know, culminating piece by piece the data that's been stolen, you get into a position where um, you, know, you, you can only disclose what you know and you might have to disclose again and again as you find more and more information. That right. happened in this situation. And yeah. then in the news, it, it comes across as more. And, you know, we hear, we hear about it with Facebook. Yeah. And it, it seems like more and more. And it just keeps happening. Um, I'm not a TimeHop user. And so as someone who doesn't use TimeHop and viewers are asking, you know, how does this affect me? I think there are two facets to this type of data breach. One, obviously, we're going to have to talk about, Robert, um, the impact that this has on TimeHop users. Um, but for those of us who are not using that particular service, there's also the, um, the recognition and the understanding that we gain from these types of breaches that we really need to learn to secure our online profiles. We need to be a lot more conscious of our privacy and security. Um, so we do, you know, if you're watching this right now live and, uh, and you're wondering, you know, how does this impact me, just keep in mind that, hey, this is one particular data breach. Uh, but I think that there are, you know, this, what we're learning here tonight with Robert Capps is transcending um, time hopping into, uh, into various platforms. I mean, it's a whole, it just keeps happening, right? We're going to hear about the next one tomorrow. Yeah, and, and the data that's being stolen is often being intermingled from different data breaches and compared. And what they do is they create deeper and deeper profiles for consumers that can then be used later on for other sorts of attacks, whether that's account takeover, identity theft, um, or any number of other things like um, synthetic identity assertions, uh, where we're starting to see people's identities being piecemealed together, different people, different there's different socials, data births and addresses, things are put together to create a new identity that then is used to try and get credit and eventually uh, open accounts in that new person's name. Um, that's okay. that's a problem too, right? So, yeah. so as more and more data gets out there, there's more and more use, useful data for the fraudsters to um, attack the financial and retail systems. Um, and, and I think that that's the kind of thing that we're starting to see here is that this data is culminating together. Now they're starting to use it in different ways. What's particularly um, troubling about attacks on social media aggregation sites is that social media has a lot of contextual information that an attacker needs to understand their mark, their their victim, the person they're going after. Right. Um, that that information, like mother's maiden name, maybe cousin's name, is the color of a car. A lot of that data exists in social media, even if you have that locked down to just you and your friends. Um, products like, like TimeHop, and there's a number of other companies out there that archive social media or do other things with social media posts that you put out there, um, they have access to that information without having access to your logins. What happens is uh, when you register your account with one of these aggregators, they reach out to the social media platform, they get a token to be able to do specific actions as you without having your username or password. And um, in this situation with TimeHop, those tokens were stolen, uh, which could have been used for um, uh, pulling additional data about those consumers down and archiving it. Now, uh, based on the, the, the blog post that uh, TimeHop put out there, they've worked with their social media partners to, to figure out if there was any of that sort of scraping that's occurred. It doesn't sound like it did. But as you look at some of the, the um, security techniques that are being put in place uh, and privacy um, uh, blocks are being put in place at social media outlets to keep uh, data within their networks. Um, these are natural next attack points for getting the information that has long been av available to uh, to these these aggregators and these bad these bad guys. So 
<clears throat> for the users who say, oh, well, my online profiles, you know, it, it's nothing private. I don't post anything online. You talk yeah. about account takeovers. Is, is this something that I need to be concerned with if I would define myself as one of those people? I, 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 cognizant of risk versus concern. Um, I, online transactions are still far safer than um, some types of physical transactions. Uh, if you think about uh, the protections you're afforded by using your credit card when you purchase products online, you have almost zero liability and zero risk for those transactions, even if you interact with somebody that maybe wasn't the best merchant. Um, you're financially, you'll be made whole by your, 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 your financial institution due to the regulations, at least here in the U.S. Other countries, you know, your, your, your regulations may vary, um, but most of North America is pretty much aligned in that respect. Um, what, what I think we're going to be, uh, to be seeing here, I, I, actually, what I think we need to be um, discussing with consumers is taking the right steps to protect themselves. So, you know, when, when a consumer logs into a new site or creates a new profile, don't use the same username and password they used at other sites. Um, I know that's a tough one. Um, using password managers on your computer helps. I do have a friend who is ultra secure um, in his, his mindset. He has a password journal. It's a physical journal. He writes his passwords in, and when he changes them, he scratches them out, put the next one, and the thing is always on him. Yeah. <laughs> he never leaves it anywhere. But you know, these are these. We're always told, don't write your passwords down. I, I think some of that that that, that dogma that we've used over the years um, has has really put us in a bad position when it's really forced consumers to do the wrong thing. Which and what they end up doing is the easiest thing which is reuse of usernames and passwords. It is perfectly okay to write those things down as long as you keep them secure. It's perfectly okay to use digital uh, password wallets on your computer or your phone as long as you maintain the security of those devices and you keep strong passwords on those, on those uh, password stores. They're going to be good tools for helping you keep your digital life straight and keep your, your accounts secure. Um, key accounts to, to keep control over social media um, you can be used to pull data about you and to impersonate you online. Uh -huh. um, bank account records, um, uh, uh, alternate payment systems, PayPal's and, 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 and companies like that. Um, the, your email account. People don't understand that their email account is the gateway to their access to other sites. Um, if you go and forget your password for Facebook or you go forget your password for some merchant site, they're going to email you a new password. And so um, once your email account has been compromised, it is the gateway to taking over other sites, right. other, other access to other sites that and you may have. When we spoke about two-factor authentication last year, um, a lot of sites that have two-factor authentication, while it's a great service, they do what? They send your two-factor authentication link Phone. <laughs> by, yeah, by phone or by email right, right. even. Yep, yep, and, exactly. Uh, so, you know, that just, if they have access, if you've used the same password across the platform that was compromised plus your email account, now all of a sudden they've got access to your 2FA as well. Right. Um, so back to TimeHop. If I was a user of TimeHop, and there are viewers who are users of TimeHop, what, you mentioned that there was a lot of data stolen and some of this is private information, stuff that you would rather keep absolutely private. Um, what, what was actually stolen here? 
So uh, name, email address, uh, phone number, date of birth. Um, they also had uh, uh, gender designation. Um, and then there was the possibility of some nationality or at least where you're coming from. Um, what was also stolen were the, uh, the tokens that were representative of the logins that you had provided to, um, to, to log into Facebook, whatever social media TimeHop was accessing on your behalf. Um, the good news is that as soon as the identification of the issue happened at TimeHop, they invalidated all those tokens. Um, oh, okay. and, and so that, that was the right thing to do. Yep. So as a, as a user of TimeHop, you're secure. Um, you should probably go and, and uh, you know, change your TimeHop password as, as normal just in case something happened in, in regards to the passwords. There's no indication that's what happened. but. Good practice. Change yeah. your passwords, guys. Um, and then uh, you know you can reestablish your connection to um, to to your Facebook or whatever it happens to be. One thing to keep in mind, though, and this is actually best practice for consumers: go out there and check on your social media sites and see what has access to your social media. You'd be surprised. You go to Facebook, you go to Twitter, uh, you go to the other platforms. Almost all of them have a way for you to go and look what applications have access to your data on on the the, the platform, and you can revoke it and you can remove you know do those sort of things. Um, get in a regular habit of going in and seeing what you have access, what has access to your data, and turn it off if you're not using it anymore. Um, and and in the cases where they've archived a bunch of data about you, you might reach out and ask for your data to be deleted if that's an option, or close your account if you're not using those accounts anymore, or whatever it happens to be. But but for the most part. Do a little spring cleaning here and there, and 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 um, make sure that you're not giving up your data to just any organization because you forgot you gave them permission six months or a year ago. Right, and the other thing that we have to consider, I think, Robert, is that companies get bought all the time, mm -hmm. apps, trade hands, and yes. so if we've authorized an app to have access to our Facebook or our Twitter profiles, and then. Yeah. Four years later, we don't even use that app, and we don't even remember having used that app. Well, who, how do we know if the same company even owns it, if they're using it for the same purposes, but they still yeah. have access to all that information and, and our profile itself? So right. if two-factor authentication isn't enough, as we've established on the show previously, if usernames and passwords are simply not enough, what is next? What can we do as users and what can companies do to help protect private information? Right. So, um, you know, I, I can give you a little bit about what my organization does uh, without pushing <laughs> the sales button too hard. Um, you know, there are things you can do around consumer behavior. Right, they tend to come back and interact with the same sites at the same time as a day. They use to tend to use the same kind of computer, the same kind of browser. Um, when they log in, they use the same cadence of keystroke. They're using the same username, the same password, time and time again on that site. Hopefully, not shared anywhere else. Um, they're using the same devices. Uh, they're coming from the same internet connection. There's enough data points about that consumer as they're interacting to make a judgment call as to whether or not it really is them that's logging in and not somebody that just happened to have their credentials. Um, that in itself is enough to uh, strongly protect consumers, I would say about 80 to 90% of the time. Oh, wow. Beyond that point, you really start getting into physical biometric verification, so iris scans, uh, selfies, uh, fingerprints, um, voice print. Uh, there's some other modalities of, of physical biometrics that are now becoming um, 
normal in use online uh, for next next point up or step up authentication. So are these um, like are these ways to access accounts or are these a form of two factor authentication? Well, that's kind of one and the same. Um, so for two factor authentication, they are additional factors, albeit ones with more friction and take a little more consumer effort. So they should be saved for the for the points where frictionless um, authentication doesn't work or isn't appropriate. Like it's just, there's not enough data to to make a judgment call. You step up to the next frictionful experience for the consumer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and then you just keep you keep stepping through the things you you have in your your um, your toolbox to authenticate users until you can't. Right at that point, you really have to question whether or not you're dealing with the right person. So is this uh-huh. kind of what like the what's coming to mind here for me is um, the new Google Recaptcha? How it uses a kind of a uh, an intelligence engine to learn if the interaction that I'm making with a website is human or potentially a robot, and if it isn't quite sure, then it asks me to identify the cars and identify the signs. So are these the kinds of technologies that, that we should be implementing? I, I think that there's actually technology that goes beyond that, right? So, so we, we, we've been producing technology that goes beyond putting captures in front of consumers for a long time. Um, captures in front of a consumer is... is, is, is um, it means something didn't work. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> if you put anything technology-wise, like they're like a captcha in front of a consumer, you failed to identify them as a human up to that point passively. Um, you should probably go back to your human detection drawing board and figure out how to work that one out. Yeah. Um, we started off with a smart captcha back in 20, 2011 or twenty twelve, um, and very quickly figured out that if you put the captcha in there, you failed. And if you've identified them passively, you, you, you've been able to, to not put um, you know, friction from the consumer and, 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 and basically um, not tip your hand as to how you're managing uh, to identify those consumers versus the, the bots. Um, that makes your investment technology go a lot further when they can't quite figure out what's going on. Um, the, from a, from, but, but again, from the capture perspective, it, it's cool for them to figure out whether or not you're human, um, but they've got a long way to go because they keep showing those captures to people. Okay, so biometrics, on the other hand, where I have to identify myself with a thumbprint, or um, I, I think about the failure that we've seen in things like facial recognition, being able to mm-hmm. open phones by a picture or uh, an audio recording. Um, so yeah. are these even going to be, or are they already um, a- effective ways of authenticating a user? Well, I wouldn't start there, right? So, so um, there's right, okay. there's multiple kinds of biometrics. There's passively collected biometrics, and these are things like uh, keystrokes. These are things like uh, if you're holding a mobile device, I've got one somewhere around here. Um, you know, if you're holding your mobile device and you're using it, you tend to use it at a certain angle and a certain hand, and that information is available through the sensors in the device that allows you to uh, profile how that consumer usually holds the device, right? Because my arm's a certain length, my eyesight's a certain way, I've got the glasses off right now because there's glare on the screen, <laughs> but um, you know, when I'm, when I'm looking at my device without my glasses, it tends to be up here. If I've got my glasses on, it tends to be down here, and I'm comfortably looking at it. There's an angle to that. Right, and there's a certain amount of uh, distance between my eye and the device, and as it comes up closer, the angle changes. All those data points are collect can be collected in real time during an interaction, anonymized, of course. They they can't say that this is Robert, but they can say that this is the human that normally interacts with this account. 
And uh, from that perspective, you can strongly identify someone even with physical um, uh, aspects of their, of, their, of their their body and how they interact. Um, you can do that without violating consumer privacy or being creepy or, or anything else right. that goes along with that. But you can do it in a, in a friction-free way that allows the consumer just to do their, what they want to do naturally without having to go to those multi-factor, you know, fingerprints and iris scans. Right. Getting back to the question on um, using uh, non-live recordings of those biometrics, that's a concern. And... Um, there are technologies that are being used to um, mitigate some of those issues in consumer electronic devices. So things like Face ID with Apple, you know, they're projecting dots all over the face to, and they're measuring the actual movement and, and the d distribution of those bot dots on the face in order to make sure that you're actually a 3D representation of you. Oh. And, and so that isn't going to be subject to a photo uh, being used to, to, to get around it. But it could be subject to a mask. Now we we saw that someone built a proof of concept mask, and they spent you know thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars, breaking Face ID. What they really did was prove that if you spend a lot of money, you could probably break a consumer biometric product. Um, but the cost to do that and the heavy lifting to get it done, you had to get a 3D image of the person's face, and you had to be able to print it with enough fidelity, and had to have somebody's head that was small to fit into it that didn't distort it. That's a lot of ifs in order to actually break those technologies. Now, Madame um, Tussauds might beg to differ. And, that's you know, true. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> do I need to be concerned if I was some big executive rep in a company that represents millions of customers and billions and billions of dollars? Do I need to be concerned now with biometric data of things like, and I hate to say it, but like if someone wants to steal that data, are the do I need to worry that my fingers are going to get stolen or, you know, those kinds of things? Are, is that going to be something that is a new concern in this world where we use biometric data? Yeah, I mean, the way we're using it right now is with consumers is mostly as convenience. Um, it's, it's a convenient mechanism to um, prove physical activity or physical presence in the, in the transaction. We do have not just anecdotal evidence, but actual evidence of crime gangs abducting people in other countries for exactly that situation you're talking about. Yep. This is not a normal thing. It does not occur on a daily basis. It's not something the average consumer should have to worry about. Um, this is where you know tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars were at stake, um, and they needed somebody's fingerprints to do something. Like that, it's movie theater uh, plots. Yeah. Um, we don't see those happen in reality that much. Um, that one you spoke of actually does have some some actual reality base to it, but it's so it's such a rare, um, not just a rare. They're they're abnormal okay. situations. Yeah. All right. So yes, yes, I need to be worried. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're a multi-trillionaire, then you, you yeah, should have a body. Which I'm, anyway. which I'm okay. not, but I do think about folks who got in on yeah. the Bitcoin game real early and, and have very real concerns of having their accounts compromised. And those kinds of people yeah. have you know, very real threats that come mm -hmm. to them. Um, so this all sounds, as you say, the, the consumer doesn't really need to be quite as concerned, but... It does sound more like this, these are things that big companies like Amazon or eBay should be implementing. Uh, what about us smaller um, online e-commerce sites? And like, is there a transcendence of the, these types of services that we can start to use as well? 
Yeah, so, so um, passive biometrics and behavioral analytics um, are available to uh, small mom and pop web shops. Um, the technology there um, is, is as simple as some JavaScript and some additional components that go on the application server and then some web services calling data around in order to get intelligence and provide you, am I dealing with a human? Am I dealing with the right human? Um, that's accessible to everybody who has a website um, and, and not for a tremendous amount of money. Uh, as you get into physical biometrics, um, you need to have some additional technology built into your native mobile app, which means you have to have a native mobile app. Um, you start getting into the realm of, of technologies that get a little more expensive or a lot more complicated to, to deploy. Um, the passive stuff is pretty easy, and, and, and it gets you uh, the vast majority of your customers secured in a way that um, they just weren't prior to deployment of a technology like that. Um, for now, though, most of the large issues, most of the fraud issues that are occurring are occurring against the large organizations um, at scale. And so if you have a small organization starting to have some fraud issues or can't take over issues, putting these type of technologies, we're talking about the passive biometrics, behavioral analytics products out on their site, um, will solve for a tremendous number of their issues. That sounds fantastic. Now, you mentioned JavaScript code availability and things like that. Where can yeah. I get it? I just... Well, I, well, new data has it. I, I'm <laughs> no, and I, I certainly don't mind. I mean, if yeah. that's what you guys are doing, then, then we need to check out newdatasecurity.com and learn more about the technology that is available to us there. Uh, I've been speaking tonight with Robert Caps. He is the VP and authentication strategist for New Data Security. Uh, Robert, always, always a pleasure having you here. Thank you for sharing your knowledge and uh, you. your expertise, and we look forward to the next time as well. Have a great afternoon. Take care. We've got to take a really quick break. When we come back, we're going to be looking at a brand new single board computer that blows the rest of them out of the water. Don't go anywhere. Whether you shop on ThinkGeek, GearBest, B&H Photo Video, eBay, or Amazon, or even if you want a free trial of Audible, you'll find the best deals and support the shows we produce by simply visiting the shopping sites you already frequent by using the links on our website. Visit Category5.tv slash partners for the full and ever-growing list and help us create more free content like this show. Thank you for shopping with our partners, and thank you for watching. Welcome back. This is Category 5 Technology TV. Now, I've got to get all the way across the studio because we're about to unbox yet another SBC. I'm really, really excited about this one. Me too. Uh, but we're talking during the break there. How am I going to transition to over there? So... You're going to have to talk to them about something, and I'm going to just grab my microphone and run. I know. It makes me so nervous. We'll just talk okay, you about got how this? nervous. Yes. Okay. We're just going to end up talking about how nervous I am about doing the transition, but not at all nervous about doing another unboxing because it's my absolute favorite thing we do. Okay. I'm in. I'm glad you like it. <laughs> Ready? Yes. Let's get right into it. Now, we're looking at the Rock 64 today. This is from Pine 64. You remember them from last week's show. We looked at the A64 LTS. Now, this week, we're looking at this credit card-sized board, so half the size easily, and pretty close to the size of a Raspberry Pi, I would say. We're going to find out when I measure it there. This one 
should we just get into the box? Yes. Let's because this is an unboxing, right? I'll talk while I unbox. Here we go. So it kind of actually has a reminiscent look to a Raspberry Pi, if you will. Let's get in here. The Rock 64 is. Are you ready for this, Sash? I am. 4K. Cool. 60 frames per second. It's got full-sized HDMI. We've got an AV port there. We've got gigabit Ethernet. Wow. Okay. This has got a four-core processor. It's the ARM Cortex-A53 64-bit processor. And are you ready? Yeah. Oh, I keep saying I'm excited about this, Sash. <laughs> this one comes in three different models. They all look pretty much the same, but there is a one gig model, which would put it on par memory-wise. So I'm talking about the RAM here. Would put it on par with the Raspberry Pi 3B Plus, as far as the memory goes. There's a two gig model, which puts it on par as far as the capacity of the memory goes with, say, an XU4. And there is a four gigabyte model. It's uh, DDR3, 1600 megahertz RAM. And let's get a look at the board itself here. So we've got a micro SD port at, at the bottom here. This is for your micro SD card, which is pretty traditional for um, these small uh, single board computers. I've got the four gig model, yes! And then on this side, once again, we end up with an eMMC, pardon me, eMMC uh, interface. So that again is uh, a different type of storage from the micro SD. It's more reliable, it's faster, and it's just a chip that we can snap right onto the board there. And this device already has Android 7.1 available for it. It's got uh, a Debian um, installa installation that's available for it, um, Yocto, which I haven't seen, uh, and a lot more coming. Now, this is a brand new board, so we're going to see a lot of distributions coming out on this uh, over the next little while. It has, you can see a couple of different GPIOs here. So we've got the uh, the Pi 2 bus, we've got the Pi uh, P5 Plus bus, we've got... Can you move that a little bit closer to the ruler just for me? You sorry. want me to see? Yes. Am I out you. of the frame? A little can bit. You see yeah. this? Look there at the GPIO go. there. Thanks, Sasha. Um, okay, I can't see it like you see it. I'm seeing this live and I want to bring it closer to me. Uh, okay, we've got USB 2.0. We've got two of those. We've got one blue one. What do you think the blue stands for? That's a USB 3 port, my friends. I already mentioned gigabit Ethernet. And, of course, just like um, you would expect with the GPIO that's available on this board, we can do all kinds of things with this. If you're a maker, if you want to add some sensors to it or other devices uh, connected to this device, you can do that. Got a couple of other cool little things here. Uh, first of all, on board, we have a power and reset button that's built right into the, uh, to the circuit board here. And there's also a, a restore button as well. And once again, oh, before I get to the barrel jack, uh, this is kind of interesting. This looks cool. Uh, we've got the infrared sensor built right in as well. And over here is the barrel jack. That's a 3.5 uh, millimeter barrel connector, uh, which is incidentally the same as the one that we've reviewed in the past. So five volts, three amp, and that's gonna take it just like that. So that's where you get your power from. There's no micro USB to be finicky or ah. anything like that. What do you think of that? I love it. Beautiful. Not a lot more that I can tell you on an unboxing video, but it looks well built. I'm excited about it. Got a heat sink I'm going to put on it. Let's get the measurements for you. 
How am I in the frame? Good now. Fantastic. All right. This way, we've got five and a half inches. That can't be right. What, is, what are these measurements, Sasha? <laughs> That's a one crazy ruler, Robbie. That is one crazy ruler. Maybe br- there bring, we it, go. bring it a little bit Maybe more Maybe it's like not you. metric. Bring it up. Yeah, there we go. That'll Thanks. be easier to read. Okay, two inches. I'm like, that is not five inches. <laughs> wow. Two inches and three millimeters, four millimeters, give or take. This way, I don't know what measurements these are. I'm going to have to look at this off the air. Maybe it's like some, like we work in metric. This is all, oh yeah, it's centimeters. Cool. And this way, we are one, two, three and a quarter inches and maybe a millimeter or two. There you go. So roughly the same size as a Raspberry Pi 3. In this box here, got a nice little case for it. Can these devices be powered over PoE? This one, uh, I don't believe has PoE, as a matter of fact. But uh, you could, I suppose, do a PoE um, splitter. You could buy a splitter that has the correct barrel adapter and power it that way. So we've got these kind of risers. Once again, similar kind of design to ones we've looked at in the past from Pine 64. So the board is going to go right on there. Then we've got the riser that goes up there. And then the Plexi with the Rock 64 logo this time goes right up there. There you have it. So sharp. Beautiful. I can't wait to fire that one up as well. We're going we're gonna to have to put these things head to head. And this one with 4K 60P and a very nice processor and 4 gigs of RAM and eMMC and USB 3. We're going to uh, need to put some games on there as well and see how it performs with RetroPie or something like that. Um, now, we are going to need, if you want Bluetooth for controllers or something like that, you're going to need a Bluetooth dongle or possibly a Wi-Fi dongle if you want to get it on Wi-Fi instead of using Gigabit Ethernet. Uh, but this is a great-looking maker board. Can't wait to fire her up. I'm going to head back over. I love that. That's awesome. <laughs> Get you plugged in. There we go. Super. I'm back. Yay. How do you like that? Ooh, baby. Yeah. I'm getting excited about how SBCs are progressing, getting better and better mm-hmm. all the time. And we're starting to see these little itty bitty things that have very similar power to what we would want in a decent set top box or TV, uh, computer for multimedia and gaming, for even right. a desktop PC that, you know, we can strap it onto the back of a monitor and boom. So cool. Loving it. Hey, are you ready to head on over to the newsroom? I am indeed. Swell. Let's do that. Okay. We're pushing all kinds of buttons tonight. (laughs) We're making this happen. (laughs) There you go. Um, Will you be the controller? Would you like me to? Yeah, I I prefer that. Yeah, I can. I push all the buttons. (laughs) (laughs) Please push the buttons. I do it wrong sometimes. Here are the stories we're covering this week in the Category 5.TV newsroom. Engine maker Rolls-Royce designed a new propulsion system for a flying taxi, which it says could take to the skies as soon as early next decade. Shoppers in the U.S. and elsewhere struggle to access Amazon's website as one of its biggest annual sales, Prime Day, went underway on Monday.
A solar plane, which can stay aloft for weeks at a time, is to be manufactured by Airbus in the UK. And the Atari VCS console runs a custom Linux distro called Atari OS. These stories are coming right up. Don't go anywhere. Jeff Weston. Yaman. You're building a brand new beautiful website. What? Aren't you? No. Am I? Oh, you're a terrible actor. What? This is where acting comes into play. Oh, I didn't know we were acting. You're supposed to act. Okay, fair enough. All right. yeah, I'm building a really cool website. Are you building a really cool website? Just because Jeff is confused doesn't mean you have to be. Visit cap5.tv slash dreamhost to sign up for unlimited web hosting for your website with unlimited email accounts, MySQL databases, the latest version of PHP, WordPress, and more, and even a free domain name registration. It's less than $6 per month, so sign up today. cap5.tv slash dreamhost. This is the Category5.tv Newsroom, covering the week's top tech stories with a slight Linux bias. I'm Sasha Rickman, and here are the top stories for following this week. Engine maker Rolls-Royce has designed a propulsion system for a flying taxi, which it says could take to the skies as soon as early next decade. The British firm said that it has drawn up plans for a, an electric vertical takeoff and landing vehicle which could carry five, four to five people. They claim the vehicle could travel at speeds of up to 250 miles per hour for approximately 500 miles. Rolls joins a variety of other firms in seeking to develop flying vehicles. Speaking ahead of this week's Farnborough Air Show, Rob Watson, head of the company's electrical team, said... We are well-placed to play a leading role in the emerging world of personal air mobility and will also look to work in collaboration with a range of partners. Airbus, Uber, and a range of startups, including one called Kitty Hawk, which is backed by Google co-founder Larry Page, have all announced projects. So, that means that we are going to have flying taxis. It's really happening. They're actually building this stuff. This is mind-boggling cool for me. And I'll tell you why. And it occurred to me, just kind of out of the blue, that it means that we could put less roads down if we had the flying cars. You know, I've, right? never, I've never had that thought. That's really interesting. So it would save money, firstly, in infrastructure, but yeah. it also means less roads means more trees, which means more health to the earth, mm. which is a huge big deal. Right? Yeah. If we and, and I guess with autonomous vehicles being the, the next big thing, mm-hmm. they're going to know the coordinates of other flying taxis and things like that, or whatever right. they may be, right? This is just the start of it. I think that, like, thinking of um, how they've done, for example, drone demonstrations where they operate like a hive mind. And I think about implementing that kind of technology into um, autonomous vehicles and now so flying autonomous vehicles that allows them to know their positioning amidst other ones. Right. So you're right. You don't need roads, but, well, then how do they avoid crashing? Well, then you think about this autonomous... Yeah. ability to know the position of other vehicles. Yeah, I mean... Emergency vehicles, able it, to get where they need to go fast. Exactly. Like, it really would be great on so many levels. I, I am, love it. And early next decade, 
that soon. I know that that just means the start. It's not going to be common yet. But I feel sure. like at some point they'll be able to scale back a lot of the construction work and a lot of the road work. And they'll be able to really start implementing some more things. I mean, if they did need to do a roadway then, it would be easy to do something like one of those solar roadways. Right? Because they're going to have to put less money in. See? Good. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's a neat time, too, because like we talk about this and it seems like, okay, this is far-fetched, sci-fi. No, we actually have the technology to do this now. Yeah. It could happen, and it's not just something out of the you know someone's imagination somehow it seems very very plausible to me like it seems like it's going to happen and it seems that way to <laughs> rolls royce as that's well. what they're doing yeah exactly so if they're doing it you know it's uh, at least at some level is going to happen over the next little while i am going to buy one are you <laughs> one you just got a car right you're already thinking about getting a flying car well my next car will be a flying car there you go <laughs> It seems even Amazon can't quite handle its own success. Shoppers in the U.S. and elsewhere struggle to access Amazon's website as one of its biggest annual sales, Prime Day, went underway Monday. Many frustrated users took to social media to report the e-commerce platform had crashed and was showing them only an error message that read, Sorry, something went wrong on our end. The issues were centered on the U.S., but affected users up here in Canada and overseas, too. Downdetector.com, which tracks outages, said the problems began shortly after the sale kicked off at 3 p.m. in the U.S. In a tweet, Amazon said it was working to resolve the issues. Remarkably, users even reported experiencing problems with Amazon's video streaming services and its virtual assistant, Alexa, during the first few hours of the sale as well. Amazon launched Prime Day in 2015, and by 2017, it was the second biggest shopping day, topped only by Cyber Monday. Some warned the glitches could make it hard to achieve the expected numbers. Global Data Retail Managing Director Neil Saunders said at the time, the outage is especially problematic as many of Amazon's Prime deals are promoted for a set window of time, something that could cause a great deal of frustration for potential customers. Prime Day ran for 36 hours and this year saw the largest number of people hitting the site at all at once in the history of the sale. It really is amazing, it was, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so the sale was so well marketed this year. I don't remember ever getting as much communication from mm. Amazon as I did. And so, Is it just me or is their AI getting so good that it figures out what we want? Right. And, and you can say that's creepy, but it's actually really good. Like, I got a really great deal on a device for the studio that I think is going to make a huge difference here. Yeah. I I I know that they know me well. And I had to stay away from it because I'm really trying to stay on budget. But mm. I was excited more this year than I ever have been, even knowing I wasn't buying anything. Because they really kept reminding me it was coming. They kept sending me uh, pictures and links of things. <laughs> and I was... Can't escape it, Sasha. I know. So I, I definitely understand why they saw such high numbers and why sure. interest, like, immediately the numbers probably caused the servers to, I don't know... Part, part of the reason that they have these timed deals is to space out the 
usage. Right. Right? Because if they have, you know, a certain kitchen deal and a certain electronics deal and a certain clothing deal happening right now, and then six, I don't know, an hour later, a different electronics mm-hmm. deal and a different clothing deal, so that you don't have the same, like, the, everybody going there all at once as you do on, like, Black Friday or something like that at a retail store. Right. Because then it's all gone, right? So they tried to space things out. Mm-hmm. There were so many people shopping. It's in just unbelievable. I haven't even seen the numbers yet, but we know that if their infrastructure itself was affected, then that's got to be massive. Right. Well, I can imagine next year is going to be bigger than this year. Mm-hmm. And I imagine because they're very smart and they really want to focus on experience, this won't be a problem next year. You think so? I the think technology will be there. Yeah. Amazon has an amazing um, cloud infrastructure. Mm-hmm. I mean, they sell their cloud infrastructure to other services. So to think that those services were quite possibly, I mean, people were reporting that some of these services were affected by Prime Day. So their own infrastructure of CDNs and whatever else, and mm-hmm. virtualized servers and things like that are affected as well. So, you know, what do they do? Throw more power at it? Throw more storage? And They're, They'll do something. It'll, oh, be a, it'll be a news story before Prime Day next year, what they're going to do for Prime Day. How do you make Amazon CDN bigger? How do you make it more powerful? It's got to happen. It's going to. It's going to have to. If you can't beat them, join them. Claim that they will no longer be building an internet toting drone may have been in the wording. They're working with Airbus and Airbus will build it. Facebook recently retired Project Aquila and it turns out that they've been collaborating with Airbus. According to Jana Rosenman, head of unmanned aerial systems at Airbus, the two companies have a joint goal to try and bring internet connectivity to connect the unconnected. The unmanned craft flies high in the atmosphere to avoid commercial air traffic known as the Zephyr it is its remote sensing potential has already seen the UK MOD invest but Airbus also hopes to develop the craft as a communication platform powered by solar energy during the day and solar charged batteries by night the Zephyr holds the absolute endurance record for unrefueled airplanes 336 hours 22 minutes and 8 seconds in the air the latest model the Zephyr S is currently aloft above the skies of Arizona in the U.S. where Airbus aims to fly days, breaking the vehicle's own 14-day record set in, 19, or in 2010. The Zephyr will immediately begin industrial production in Farnborough following several years of testing. Its inauguration was announced at the 2018 Farnborough Air Show. It seems like a theme here that we're Yeah. Now, this is huge and great because I'll tell you, when we found out that that Facebook wasn't going to be doing, um, I was worried a little bit about Project Loon, which sounds weird, but I thought to myself, well, now there's no competition, Ah. right? Project Mm -hmm. Loon does a really great job with their balloons and they, they have really helped out, but 
I want there to be a lot of fair competition. Ex- sure, exactly. I mean, these so, are all big dogs, right? But there's got to be uh, more than just one player in the atmosphere for ex- sure. Exactly. So this is great. The way that they, the way that they did, kind of announce that they were shutting down Aquila. It made it sound like it was over. It was done. It was not happening. And then you see this new project, and it looks identical, practically. <laughs> yeah. The drones look the same, the, the, these solar-powered planes. So it's almost as if you know they've just known all along that this is the way they were going to go, and they were helping with development. Yeah, they knew. So. With our emotions... Yeah. yeah. And for those of you who are not aware of the kinds of things that are happening surrounding these types of projects, what they're trying to do and what they are achieving, and uh, you mentioned Project Loon, and they have achieved, um, is putting aerial um, systems up in the sky that can deliver internet at places where internet is not available. So think about if a hurricane goes through or a tsunami or something that something infrastructure right so now you know that you've got the inability to have access to the internet which these days is our communication when our internet went down here at the studio I also incidentally had no phone because my phone is also voice over IP right you called me today that's true and how did you call me over the internet through the internet my phone rang and it was Sasha over the internet giving me a call (laughs) so these drones or whatever it may be up in the atmosphere, they're then relaying the internet to these places where currently they, maybe they don't have high-speed internet or maybe right. for some reason the infrastructure is unable to support it at that time. And so. how else really would you be able to shop for anything on Prime Day and let everybody on Facebook know that you've done it, mm. but for the fact that you have you internet need, you everywhere that, you go? That's their intention, right? That's <laughs> be ready for next prime day see there we go yeah (laughs) (laughs) the atari vcs console runs a custom linux distro called atari os if you back the successful atari vcs crowdfunding campaign last month you might be pleased to hear that you're going to get more bang for your buck Following criticism of its mediocre internal mar- makeup, the Atari VCS console will now ship with 8 gigabytes of RAM by default the games. The RAM bump is just one of several bits of new information revealed through a Q&A blog post from team newcomer Rob Wyatt, best known as the brains behind the original Xbox system. His more direct approach begins or helps to wave away some of the vagueness and uncertainty that continues to surround the system. With close to 3 million raised in its Indiegogo campaign, the Atari VCS is now entering the difficult part, delivering a vile rebuffs to journalists, the central cell of a Linux games console backed by decades worth of gaming heritage remains both unique and compelling. As previously announced, the Atari VCS will run a custom Linux-based OS and will provide the ability for users to install a regular Linux distro on the machine. Wyatt expands on this capability further in his Q&A, explaining, Our core architecture consists of the Atari Secure hypervisor and a heavily... 
external storage device is checked. And if a bootable device is found, the other OS on that device is loaded instead. We don't have a typical OS loader like U-Boot or Grub, and because the CPU is already in 64-bit protected mode from our boot code, the other OS will need its typical startup code changing. Although Wyatt stresses that the changes are minimal, the company... Looks like a retro gaming console from Atari. It looks like a 2600 or something like that. This is going to play to the nostalgia in all of us. But it's a 64-bit gaming machine with 8 gigs of RAM. Huge! Like, that puts it... I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, the PS3 was, like, nowhere near that. The PS4 is 8 gigs of RAM. And this is a different OS. Right. So if indie developers want to create their own games, create their own distribution for it, um, we're going to be able to see. Like, they're developing it specifically so that that can be done. That's a really cool idea that they've given a nod to, you know, indie game open developers. Source. Open source. Linux. We'll send us that one. That would be good. Please hey, Atari. Do. Hi, Atari. Dear Atari, we love you and we have ever since the 2600. It's true. Please. Send us a VCS. We will talk. We'll unbox it. We'll unbox it. We'll caress it. Uh, We'll do like a three-show series on it or more. (laughs) It'll be great. Do it. Please. Our our address is below. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, awesome. Big thanks to Roy W. Nash and our community of viewers for submitting stories to us this week. Thanks for watching the Category5.tv newsroom. Don't forget to like and subscribe for all your tech news with a slight Linux bias. And for more free content, be sure to check out our website. From the Category5.tv newsroom, I'm Sasha Rickman. Thanks, Sasha. I'm Robbie Ferguson, and it's been a blast having you here this week. Please make sure you comment below. If you're watching on YouTube, give us a thumbs up. Subscribe to the videos that we produce here at Category 5 TV uh, by subscribing to our channel, and you'll get the notifications every time we go live. Yes. It's a lot of fun, so you can join us live and be here with us. Um, and if you're watching, wherever you're watching, if you're watching on cable TV or Roku, Cody, Plex, you can head on over to our website, Category5.tv, and comment on the video. This is uh, This has been episode number 565. We look forward to seeing you next week. Yes. Thanks. Except for me. I'll see you in two weeks. Oh, yeah, you're away. I'm She's away. away. I'm I'll away. Be, I'll be Sorry. here. I'll be here. You'll be here. I'll see you then.